Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Don't Hate Us podcast. My name is Corey Stillman. Alongside me is Dane, Sam, and Samir. Today, guys, uh, the episode's a little different. It's, it's one I'm very excited for. It's going to be the first of four in what I believe we're calling our Secret Santa series. Uh, and it's different because, you know, today I am not just your lovely podcast host. I am a, a giver of gifts, if you will. Uh, over the past week, I have assigned each of you uh, three films to watch. or it's, You each watch the same three films. Um, but what you don't know is that I assigned each one of the uh, in, in, I assigned each one of those films with a specific person in mind. Uh, and what we're going to find out today is uh, who those films are for, uh, see if my suggestions were correct, uh, or see if they were completely out of whack. Um, but before we t- get into tonight's uh, main segment, uh, I first want to ask how you guys doing? Doing all right, you know, hanging in there uh, in the best way you can in 2020. Um, it's been a slow week, but I think, you know, we will be talking about this. There was a big, big drop, big bomb that dropped today. Um, so I definitely am very eager to talk about it. I have some stuff to say. Got some stuff on my chest. I need to get them out to the film bros. Is there stuff on so, any other body part that you want to get off as well? I depends on what Dane's up for. So <laughs> Dane, I'm gonna. Look. Hey, I mean, I'm always down. You know. That. Yeah, I, I see him looking looking cute with his Breaking Bad. I'm poster. licking my lips yeah, over great here. poster, Dane. Yeah. Very cute. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's signed by Juan Carlo Esposito. Oh, really? Whoa. So Is it really? Sick. Whoa. Gu- yeah. Gus, Gus Fring signed my poster. Ooh, wow. I have a picture with him where he puts his uh his thumb up against my throat, and he's slitting my throat. That's cool. So, That's cool as shit. Yeah. Wow. That's that, there's my little. That is something us today. four would yeah. just be like, no way, really? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wait, wait, well, speaking of um, the, of Giancarlo Esposito, I'll, we can talk about this after the episode, Dane. But I finally started the new season of The Mandalorian, and shit's fucking fantastic. It's it's really wait, good. I've seen people say that it's the best Star Wars related thing that they've ever done. Yeah, like, I really think. It well, might honestly, be. well. I am gonna get into get into like my thoughts on it. Um, this we maybe c- cut this in the final episode because it is kind of going off. But no, like that was that you watched episode four or episode five. Oh, so I'm watching five right after this episode. So mo- don't say anything. I've only seen the first four. Okay, I will. I will. I will not say anything. But if you already think that this season's incredible, I am so excited to see where this series goes. Because, like, Dave Filoni clearly knows his Star Wars so well, and I'm he directed and wrote Episode Five, so I'm gonna be very excited to hear what you think about it, Corey. Whenever you finish, yeah, I'll let you know. I mean, for me, it's like what I what I think is cool about it is it kind of just feels like um, a live action Clone Wars, like a live action really cartoon yeah. in general, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's it's just like so fun mm-hmm. and like kind of pulpy. Yeah, and the first season was like that, but this season seems to really be keying in on 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 that sort mm-hmm. of mentality. Yeah. Um, do you know any spoilers for the next episode? I don't. Oh my I god, mean, guys, I, actually, stop I, talking I about the Mandalorian. We get it. You <laughs> okay, 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 I know. Okay, I know about. Okay, I know okay, about okay. Rosario Dawson. Oh my god. Okay. Cool. Cool. Okay. Okay. Cool. Continuing. While we're on John Carlo Esposito, uh, <laughs> I want to put it in there that his most famous character in my heart is bugging out from Do the Right Thing. Yeah, it's a good call. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, that's yeah, a young Esposito right there. All right, 
He's great in that movie mm-hmm. too. Unrecognizable but, in that movie, to me at least. I didn't even think that was him because he's so afterwards. he's not scary at all. So young. Yeah, he's just very young. But Samir, That's thank you for bringing bring us back to the world of film and away from TV because that is obviously not just what our podcast is about, but also what I think we quite literally have to talk about right now. You sort of alluded to it earlier. Uh, huge news drop today. Uh, now the film bros have have convened and decided we got to talk about it. You know, <laughs> the world of film could be irrevocably changed as we know it with the announcement today that Warner Brothers will be releasing the entirety of its 2021 slate on HBO Max concurrently with their theater releases. So these films will still get theater releases. You know, it's worth noting they will technically hit theaters, but they will, on that very same day, begin streaming on HBO Max for a month, and after that month period, they will be removed. Uh, these films, uh, actually, quick flex, I wrote an article about this today for, for Screen Rant, over, going over all 17 films that this will impact. Um, and it's an interesting slate of films. I think we all know some of the big ones. There's Godzilla vs. Kong. There's The Suicide Squad. There is uh, The Mortal Dune. Kombat. Yeah, Dune is probably the biggest of them all. And Dune's definitely um, the biggest mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have the Mortal Kombat reboot. Um, you have another Conjuring film, which is interesting. You have a, another James Wan horror film. Uh, there's also a Tom and Jerry live action adaptation, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's getting um, like Oscar and, Oscar buzz already. Oh yeah, they're saying Tom is incredible. Really yeah, right along with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Right. right. Yeah. I have, yeah. um, well, qu- another a question about a movie I was wondering about is any I didn't see anything in their announcement about the Batman. Yeah, so Do the, you know if what the well, what's weird is the exception of the Suicide Squad. I saw nothing in there relating to any DC uh, extended universe films. I didn't see anything about the Batman, uh, nor about uh, the Aquaman two, which I believe is now slated for the the beginning of of twenty twenty two, which might have something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I, I have no idea what to make of of the uh, the lack of the Batman in there. Um, but yeah, some interesting films that. Uh, even some smaller ones I didn't get to mention were there's a, a biopic about Richard Williams, who's Venus and Serena's father. It's starring Will Smith. It's called King Richard. Which you, That's the kind of movie that I actually think maybe benefits from this sort of announcement. Yeah. Uh, as does um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which tells the story of the FBI trying to take down Fred Hampton, the chairman mm-hmm. of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Uh, has a lot of overlap, I think, with Father Chicago 7, which came out earlier this year. Fred Hampton was even a character in that movie. So those kinds of movies, I, th- I think, might benefit. But I just want to get your overall reaction to this news, how you think it impacts any of these specific films, but how maybe how it impacts film at large. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the first things that came to my mind today was I personally thought this decision, one, I don't think it's the right one, but I do also think that it was very premature. I think, Corey, you had mentioned, said that earlier today. Um, like, if I'm correct, I think the only two movies, like big movies, that are releasing uh, from Warner Brothers in between now and uh, the beginning of March are Mortal Kombat and Wonder Woman. I don't know if are those the only. I'm pretty sure those are the only two big releases. So to me, it's kind of surprising that with a vaccine right around the corner, at least to what it appears to be, that they didn't try and hold out at least until the beginning of February, uh, especially with the fact that they had already decided to put Wonder Woman uh, on HBO Max and do that. And that could have just been their one release to see how it went and then make the call in early February. But 
ultimately they decided against that and made the decision today. So I, th- I think it's a very pre premature decision on Warner Brothers part, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think in terms of just like the overall decision? Can I? Yeah. Well, so, I, well are, are you, you guys going, all going to agree here. with that? Because I'm going to disagree with that. So you guys go ahead and I'll just sit back and you know okay. white white boy playing devil's advocate over here. Well, I was going to play devil's advocate too. So well, oh, here, I'll, I'll just I'll go in and I'll bounce off. I think a really too. key point that Dane had, which is I'm surprised that they didn't at least wait to see how Wonder Woman 1984 fared. That was sort of to yep. me the perfect trial run. That was a film they were looking to get out for all of 2020 and just couldn't make it happen. So they finally said, "All right, Christmas, we're just going to give it to you on the streaming service. It'll come out in a limited run in theaters, um, and we'll just see how that hybrid model works." I don't see why they couldn't at least wait till that point to see uh, how it went, see if it was worthwhile, um, and then kind of go from there. I do, like you said, Dane, view it as a premature decision for that exact reason. With that being said, and I, I want to get everyone's general reactions as well, but one interesting point that I've seen floated around a lot today is... I think we're going to say the same thing. Is sort of, You're going to say there, A lot of people are blaming Christopher Nolan for this. Yeah, movie. I was going to say That's that. what I was going to really? say. Really? He's, yeah. he's Twitter. I have not seen yeah, that. He's Twitter enemy I'm number Twitter. one right now. Yeah, a lot of people are blaming him and his rushed release tenant. Um, it on you know They're blaming him for, for, the, for Warner Brothers' decision because Warner Brothers granted him his wish, gave him the tenant release, and obviously they they granted him that tenant release and obviously it didn't fare very well, at least in terms of making the the money they thought it would make. And people feel as if Warner Brothers' reaction now is in response to the lack of success that, that Nolan had with Tenet. Obviously there are other factors at play, but I actually think it's a pretty interesting theory that kind of pains me as a fan of Nolan and of Tenet and of film in general and as one of the few idiots in the world who actually went and saw it in theaters. But, I don't know, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that and, again, just every every all of the various factors that are going on here. I think it's a bit... I mean, you know, maybe I'm just a biased Nolan fanboy saying this, but it's definitely, like, unfair to place, like, all of the blame on him because definitely he's not the sole person that says, yes, let's let's release this movie right now like that decision definitely goes through a couple other people the other thing is in that same true but tweet, I mean, no one definitely was, wanted it yeah for sure he he wanted it and he was pushing it hard and the he certainly does hold a level of blame here um but what i'm trying to emphasize is the fact that like in terms of the other movies that released that had a theatrical release this year in that same tweet that i kind of saw that uh where it was like Chris Nolan fucked up or something. Under it, there was a lot of people saying movies like Onwards and stuff that came out this year were bigger flops than Tenet, theatrically speaking. Um, so, like, I think the decision kind of came from, like, other movies, not just Tenet. Of course, um, with Tenet being a Warner Brothers film, like, um, that definitely relates to Warner Brothers a lot more. But, like, in terms of the other movies, like, the shit show that Mulan was, like... Um, I think everybody's just kind of in hot water right now in terms of looking at like what is this gonna ha- like what is gonna become of this. The one thing that I want to hard agree on that both of you have mentioned, and I really want to drive this point home, is that I don't understand why now the vaccine. There's like three companies that are saying that you know we're having like 95% levels of success with the vaccine. So 
why such a bold and rash decision that seriously affects i mean it will affect a lot of things why now um and that's one question that i don't think i've seen a good answer to so far so Ooh, wait i might have a good answer for that okay so yeah. um it- i i'm actually surprised that i'm the one taking this idea but i like to think of a lot of the ramifications of covid as speeding up the inevitable um whether it be racial tension sped up whether it be the lack of um agreement to science being sped up in this country and amplified this was bound to happen are we are we, like we all agree on that right like at one point at one day there was going to be streaming the same day of movies with a big theatrical release i think that is I think it's almost impossible to argue against that because that's just how consumer change has been throughout. Not like if you look at the rise of streaming, it has gone up exponentially. That is the number one way people consume media right now. And I do agree that Hollywood is one of the most reactionary, um, you know, conglomerates ever. And, you know, they run with trends just based off on a whim. But I don't... I unfortunately am not super shocked that this happened. Uh, I thought that this was an inevitability. And, I mean, who knows when it will be safe to go into the theaters. It's. Uh, I think a lot of people think that Warner, Warner Bros. is doing this and because they're, they're saying, like, we're just giving up on this, like a theaters, but who's to say that 2021 won't be racked with COVID and restrictions and going into big groups. I think right now it is the safest monetary decision, unfortunately. Um, no, you're, and you're, I right, think... you're definitely right, Sam, right? I mean, like you are right that we don't know what 2021 will look like. And in that sense, this could, this could be, um, a necessity for next year. I also think you make a really good point about um, COVID speeding up the inevitable in a lot of different areas. I don't view this exact business model, though, as something that was inevitable. I view, I think, the proliferation of movies on Netflix and, and those movies that, that, you know, we stream, like, you know, Netflix getting Scorsese movies and, and uh, Noah Baumbach movies. That is a change that, were, that was already, I think, something that something that a lot of people had to get used to. I think... You know, Disney Plus adding movies to its lineup was something that people would have to get used to, and I think that's that's just that is a, a huge change in cinema. I don't think this was an inevitable, and that, I don't think this was an inevitability, quite like uh, all the other examples that you cited. Although I do think you make a, a decent argument. I kind of again just view this as something where Warner Brothers, to be honest, you know, I I I think this is a lot to do with it too. Is Warner Brothers, when they first released HBO Max, fucked up so badly, right? I mean, like, I would be willing to bet that even right now, if you were to ask um, a sample size of, like, 100,000 Americans, they would have no idea the difference between HBO Max and HBO and HBO Go and all the, and all this crap, right? I mean, so they messed up marketing their new streaming service so, so terribly. And I honestly think that this decision right here is more of a panicked response and a way to kind of shore up their streaming service than it is a reflection of anything about society in 2021 or 
the movie theater industry in 2021 or anything like that. I think this is just Warner Brothers trying to, again, sh- cover, yeah, just cover its own ass um, after one of the worst marketing snafus of uh, or in recent memory. So, and yeah. now because of that, it could effectively cr- uh, make the entire industry crumble. I think a that's really dr- I think that's really dramatic. Like I the more I thought about it today, the more I thought people are overreacting to this whole thing. And that's not to say I mean, that... you don't think that the Suicide Squad or um Godzilla vs Kong were going to drive the box office for at least a mo- at least 2 months apiece next next summer because they will or they were supposed to. No, they will. And now they, they o- just won't. They obviously will. No, 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 but you're saying that they won't, but you're underestimating people's insatiable need to go to the theaters. Like, I, like the experience of going to a theater, like, we talked in our group chat, we harped all day about how we love the experience of going to a theater. Like, that's what we were lamenting. Yeah, let's talk about we were, that. We were lamenting about losing out on going to uh, the theaters and, like, how it's, it's I think Samir put great, had a great point about how it's, it feels special every single time. It feels like your first time every single time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that that movie going, like theater going, is gonna go down. It will. It's an inevitability. It's gonna go down. Am I saying that the theater, like economy, is gonna completely collapse? No, because it's not. It's just there's there's too much of a need like. I- you you see on Twitter like there was like this uh, viral tweet like maybe two or three weeks ago. It's like what people think I want to do after COVID ends, and it's like bars, and it's what I really want, and it's a movie theater, and that had like three hundred thousand likes and retweets. And I, so it's like well, there you go. There, I so, can't argue so with that. Yeah, there it is. Right? The movie. Yeah, no, but, you know, I, <laughs> but what but what I'm saying but what I'm saying is it's still in the general conscience that like we can't just say that it's over with when people when consumers. Once COVID ends, I'm, I'm frankly, I just think you're being like, a little strangely bullish on. I, I think so. I think you're being too pessimistic. That, I mean, how so, do you think the okay, Irish? I think I'm in, in a, I'm in a middle ground, literally, like on the <laughs> oh, screen no, here, here and ideologically between you guys. So <laughs> here's a a couple things. So for me, you know, in terms of the movies that I want to watch in theater, I want to watch in the big screen. It's going to be movies like Dune. It's going to be movies like Godzilla. In other words, it's going to be big budget movies that don't necessarily need my money to go over to the theater to see them. Like if I was watching a small indie movie, um, like that's that's a production company or whatever. Like they, there's someone that would be like that's a screening that would be benefiting from my money because they didn't have the streaming service option now. Now, like if I could think movie like a good example that comes to mind is roma when roma came out that was being screened in select theaters while it was released on netflix and i think understanding how a movie like roma like did enough people go to see that in theaters well i think that may help answer the question of was this a good idea for those smaller movies um instead like what if you know netflix cut the people that made roma a huge check of money and said okay here well then it's the future is more optimistic for smaller movies for bigger movies i think that you know it it's it's it gets more complicated in the sense that like i'm almost like i hate to use this analogy but i almost want to treat it like a steelers game or something where it's like i can watch it on tv 
but I can also go to the stadium. And going to the stadium is like we we can use a lot of the same adjectives we describe to watch it, you know, like a movie theater. Like feels different feeling the earth shake under you in a movie, st- you know, no, but you know, here, football stadium or something. Here's where yeah. um I here's where, I think it's important to point this out is that the only reason theaters are able to show a movie like Roma or any small indie film is because they have Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong and the Suicide Squad pulling in money. The, I mean, think about whenever a new Marvel movie is out in theaters. It it has probably 80% of the theaters within a... Uh, or 80% of the auditoriums within a theater. The other 20% is those kind of smaller indie films that you're referring to uh, that, you know, you appreciate about, about cinema. We're, we're definitely going to lose those now because now we're only going to have an opportunity to show... Uh, got, to show Godzilla vs. Kong or any of these other big blockbusters. And even those are no longer guarantees to rake in the money because I can sit at home. And yes, it is true that it won't be quite like the cinema, but nowadays people are installing these home theaters with surround sound and TVs are so big and you have 4K streaming now that looks almost as good as the, the theater itself. I'll always prefer the theater experience, but the vast majority of Americans won't. And there's I don't think there's any reason to pretend that... Um, their pure love for the cinema is really going to get their, their butts back in the theater because it's not... That's exactly what I'm saying. Because it's, it's so hard to, to about... predict. Yeah, Dan? Uh, you want to go... Sur- okay. Uh, I think... <laughs> All right. I'm going to go. Um, yeah, I think you. it's definitely more about the theater than the movies at this point because the theaters before the pandemic were already doing poorly and i know for a fact like my theater in my hometown relied on star wars and infinity war and those uh big marvel movies and your blockbuster movies to really drive in an audience you'd go there on a weekday and typically you had would have a handful of people at the theater um not really like not necessarily going to see your your small indie movies your your smaller movies so i think the point of saying theaters rely on big budget movies to keep them in business is very accurate uh i I mean that's just from observations in my hometown and i know in my hometown right now um the one theater has already closed down and it's rumored that our other theater is closing down too and it's uh an amc so I mean, it, it's just hard to tell. Like, the demand might be there to go to the movies, but if a theater can't survive, then it, it's not going to be able to stay in business. So, yeah. Yeah, my 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 fear in general, I, I wholeheartedly agree with Corey and Dane about this. I think the movies that get fucked over the hardest are the smaller movies. I think the the margins have never been all that strong. Like sometimes you have a flash in a pan and you get a hereditary which grosses a hundred million plus but that's very very rare they are more about breaking even and getting critical acclaim and building a cult following but my fear is that i don't know about you guys but like i i was throughout the day thinking about like bookstores and how many mom and pop bookstores closed in the past 15 years like you probably all remember growing up like those little bookstores that you would go to growing up and those are essentially gone 
um, except for my hometown has one of the biggest like non-chain bookstores in the country. And my fear is that movies and cinema are going to become a very like, I guess, neighborhood thing, like a niche neighborhood thing where it's like, maybe you have a, like real, a novelty. Yeah. Like a really novelty. Like, so like, I like, I, I think it, I, you, you're never going to go to West Hollywood and there's not going to be theaters. That's just never not going to happen. Like the, the, the demand is so strong there. It's always going to exist in boroughs in New York. It will still exist because people love it so much. My fear is like, like Dane brought up, like the rural areas of America that, you know, only have one or two theaters that the economy of them is looking frankly not great. So, yeah. um, what I think I'm not, yeah, I was going to say what I'm, what I'm not understanding is, um, your guys's point about, about indie movies getting screwed over. Um, just because like, if you have a movie like, say Robert Eggers' next movie or Ari Aster's next movie, Alfonso Cuarón's next movie, if they know that hey, this is not even gonna hit the theater, it's gonna go straight to Netflix or Amazon Prime. Netflix is paying me to produce this movie. Netflix says here, Robert Eggers, here's um, two hundred million dollars budget to make whatever movie, and here's how much cut that you get out of it. How would that stifle the end product? Um, at all like i know that if it's a hit it won't necessarily make like a huge amount of money but then again no, i don't think how we're, i don't think people are saying because I, I agree that i actually think i agree that one of the um if there are good silver linings to this whole change in the industry it is that there's probably a, a company like netflix probably does allow a director even more creative control than ever before um and maybe even bigger budgets than ever before you the irish a new david lynch movie right i mean there's there's things like that but I think what we're saying is that uh, if those movies aren't using that model, if they are trying to find success in the theaters, they sure as hell will never find success now. Yeah. If they don't get, if they don't get picked up by Netflix, if they don't get picked up by one of the, the top five streaming things, like there is no margin to be had in just, you know, getting a, a national release now. And I mean, um, at least a 24 films is just an example. You, you mentioned Eggers and Aster. I don't see a 24 um, I, I, I imagine them being kind of stubborn. I imagine them still trying to, you know, put their films in theaters and, um, and delivering. So I'm not really sure how that will work out, to be honest, with a company like that. It's so, un it's so unknown, like what's going to happen. Yeah. Like it, like we can, we can theorize, but what'd you say, Samir? Two string budget, Napoleon Dynamite, and like grows so much. Um, and it slowly, you know, it, like gain traction was bought by a big company um i think movies like that like sleeper hit shoestring budget movies like it's hard to pitch them to like studios like netflix or amazon prime and yeah i i now agree i see that point now that we'll miss out on those kinds of movies then again like they were i can't think of many that i mean i'm sure that they're there but like like indie movies that we now watch that weren't that we weren't able to pitch to like netflix or amazon Prime. Yeah. also yeah. my headphones just died i'm gonna get i think right. like that's interesting interesting about the pitch because when you like uh let's say a team comes in to to pitch a new low budget movie and you have to think like that's going to be something that's asked is or at least thought about is 
why does this movie need to be released in theaters? Why can't it just be released on streaming or or why why does it need to be made at all or can we make this? Like so I don't know. It's it's definitely a back and forth. I do think there are some some positives in terms of like yes, I do think your your smaller movies m- may get more attention on a streaming service like Roma, but I also think that it, indie movies, smaller movies are going to be much harder to to be made in in this new or potentially new movie making environment. But even, yeah, I mean, but even think about big like we don't even have to think about indie films necessarily. Um, you know, I mentioned The Irishman a second ago. The Irishman is is one of the most expensive movies ever made, uh, yeah. and it did have a theater run. It was out for I think even a month before it came on to Netflix. Um, but no one like, watched it in theaters. Right, no, no one went to see that movie in theaters, even though it is this big Martin Scorsese epic, and I'm sure it looked absolutely gorgeous uh, on the big screen. I admit, admittedly, I I just waited till it came out on Netflix, um, yeah, and I, I watched it at home. Like I think a lot of us, uh, unfortunately, even it, those of us sitting here right now who do love the movie theater and do want to support the movie theaters will make that decision more often than not if for no other reason than that it's a smart economic decision uh which mm-hmm. is really again which is why i do i know i sound like a doomsdayer when it comes to this whole conversation but that's why i think it's it's the truth so i don't know there there are so many factors that go into how this will play out in the future but I don't know. It'll really be interesting to see how this evolves over time. And also just to see how other streaming services like Disney Plus. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I I want to yeah. I want us to move into our our main segment, but I did want to end on that last question is yeah. um you know, you know, put on your your fortune teller cap for a second here. Like do you guys um predict maybe that Disney Plus will follow suit? We already know that that um Soul, you know, Pixar's Soul is going to be hitting Disney Plus uh, later this year. So uh, there is a precedent of them doing something similar. Obviously, they've already done it this year with Mulan um, and um, even some smaller films like Artemis Fowl, I think, um, was an example. Yeah. But, I mean, they obviously, um, you know, they if, if Warner Brothers is, is one huge swath of um, Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking, Disney is very clearly the other side um, with both yeah. Marvel and Star Wars under their belt. So... Do you if do you guys think they'll follow suit and and how do you think that um kind of impact the entire layout of the industry? I really don't know about Disney because yes, they have released movies straight to Disney Plus like Mulan. Mulan didn't really fare well. I think Onward probably did decently over um over streaming. But my my attention goes to like something like Black Widow. Yes, uh very similar type of movie to Wonder Woman. Uh, and they've pushed the release date for Black Widow multiple times now. And uh, peop- the arguments come up of Black Widow's been in the MCU for this long. Like, she deserves to be on the theater screen. Like, she's uh, a integral part of the beginning of the MCU. So... I mean, that's where I come in. I think it would be an injustice to like fans and to uh, like the people who who made that movie and the people who have been uh, working within the MCU 
But then again, it is Disney, and they're also the people that made the ginormous cash grab to buy Marvel and to buy Star Wars. So who's to say that they won't just put it right on the streaming? I, I They have the TV shows coming up like uh, WandaVision, Loki, uh, and Hawkeye, and those are releasing directly the streaming and they tie directly into the MCU. So on the other hand, there's really not much keeping them from releasing it on, on Disney plus. Uh, I think that's so like, yeah, no, no, that's an interesting point is because that was kind of where I, I was, I was unsure about this debate is, you know, I mentioned earlier that I think part of the reason that Warner brothers did this is for HBO max, you know, these movies now make it like, almost a must-have streaming service. It's definitely going to up its subscription yep. base. Uh, Disney Plus has the advantage of um, these Marvel shows, I think, are about to cement it as another must-have streaming service uh, if, yep. if shows like The Mandalorian haven't already done so. So I don't know if they need to do that with these films in order to shore up the streaming service. It's just a matter of whether they not whether or not uh, they think it's just still a better economic decision anyway. Pretty gross. But Sam, close us out here. Give us some final thoughts on... on whether it's about you know maybe Disney's role in all this or just about the entire issue in general, I'll just end with an ode to how much I miss movie theaters. Like I think the reason why we're all like so ornery and mad really just comes from like a deep, deep love that we all have with going to the theaters. Like I have watched during the pandemic some of the best movies I've ever seen. Like multiple, multiple movies. I like I would say four of the five best movies I've ever seen have come during the pandemic. Um but with all that said, it's just not the same. Like I just I can't sit there and just focus like I have horrible ADHD. I I struggle to focus even during like this this podcast I struggle to focus at times. And but, like, movie theaters to me are, like, the one time I can really just immerse myself and just put all my focus into what's happening. And, it, you know, we talked a lot in the group chat today about, like, the the experience of it all. And just, like, watching Midsummer and people being grossed out or not getting it, but you're being like, oh, I fucking love this. We're like, I mean, I think we'll all remember, you know, moments like the Parasite Garden scene in the theaters and... You know, I would say I've watched some of the best movies during the pandemic, but I I wouldn't say I've had my favorite movie experiences during the Period. pandemic yeah. at all. I think that sums it up really and, nicely. Yeah, and that's that's the fear. I think even though I I might not have been so condemning, I think today is is a hard day for any any serious movie goer, um, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, absolutely. You, yeah, you put that really well. It is in a way, more about the experience than it ever, ever is the movie itself. I probably have more vivid memories of some of those theater experiences, even of the worst movies I've seen or just the most forgettable movies. The, the Just the mm-hmm. the going, the sitting there, the being with your friends, or the, or the being by yourself and surrounded by enthusiastic strangers. It's all very memorable, very uh, just a very rich experience that I agree. I, I um so as we as we move on to our main segment here, I just want to emphasize a point that Corey obviously failed to neglect as he was talking about it. Obviously, as Corey mentioned, uh, it's it's a gift giving episode, and these movies are for us. But this is an episode about Corey. Corey Yay. is the birthday boy. 
Corey is the man of the hour, and a large objective of this episode is finding out more about Corey. Because even though he picked these movies out for each of us, they all speak to Corey in different ways, and they all thematically are connected by Corey's larger interests in film. So this is very much not just about us, but humble listeners. This is also about Corey um, and learning more about him as yes. a film. He's bro. so this mysterious. This is a deep dive into Corey, Corey Stillman's psyche. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. If it, if this is a deep dive into my psyche, <laughs> then I can't imagine a better a better first film to talk about than uh, the first of the three films that I, I brought to you tonight, uh, and that is Nicholas Winding Ren's Bronson. It's a film that I think I have mentioned very briefly on the podcast in the past. It's a film that is absolutely bonkers from beginning to end, and it is also one of my favorite films of all time. It's a film that has grown on me a lot since I first watched it. Uh, actually, I went back and I read my my letterbox review. I don't know if any of you guys happen to come across it. Uh, when, it. when you were... Uh, yeah, when and, and it's actually not the most glowing review ever. Like, it's just a decent review. But it's one of those movies that I think really sits with you and really gets under your skin and really into your head. And uh, I have a lot, a lot of love for it. I think... We all know there's at least one person who I certainly did not select this movie mm-hmm. for, knowing uh, <laughs> knowing they would they would not be a big fan. So, so Sam, I would love to go to you first and hear your thoughts on. Let's Bronson. get this. So okay, um, there was multiple times today and last night that I actually just wanted us to have an emergency meeting like to have a podcast. Yeah, like yeah, emergency meeting, beep, and we all talk about this movie. So I said that drive was pointless, uh, bad, slow, all those terrible things. This made fucking drive look like Citizens Kane. <laughs> this is one of the worst movies I've ever. One of, I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not saying I'm. I'm literally not saying this to be like a dick to Corey. This is one of the most pointless movies I've ever seen. There is. I just want to say, and Samir, you better back me up because you and I were ranting on on. I had to I had to FaceTime Samir after watching it last night because I just couldn't hold it in. This movie is boring. Boring. This is not off the wall. It is just goes from wasted space and just fucking him just sitting there brewing in a cage to a man shitting in his own hand, rubbing it all over his fucking face, and then Tom Hardy spazzing out on himself for like 25 minutes. And then like it it is it is deeply gross movie it is a deeply boring movie which is its worst offense the same things you said about spring breakers i'm gonna say here this movie is so boring and tom hardy you said because i went back and listened to the episode that you talk about bronson you oh, said i know what i said is, you said it is quite possibly the best acting performance ever. <laughs> i let's talk let's talk let's talk about let's talk about Maybe not Tom Hardy's performance because Tom Hardy's performance is with what he was given is good. It's very believable. He really gets into the role and he he should be commended for how hard he gets into the role. Tom Hardy's character, on the other hand, is the most one-noted, boring fucking character. All he does is just sit there, put his fucking fists up and say cunt over and over and over again. And that's all he does. That is literally all he does. There's nothing of... Like, there's the one moment when he's sad when she doesn't accept his wedding proposal 
Samir, get in on this. I like I I truly okay. hate this movie. I this was one this was one of the most frustrated I've ever been watching a movie. So I'm gonna open my response with a quote from Sam Maricalio's dad's Twitter bio, and that is, "Opinions are like assholes. We all have them, and they all stink." <laughs> so take that. Wait, no, no, no. His actual his actual bio is, "Opinions are like assholes, and so am I." I think I like Samir's better. <laughs> okay. Well, it was yeah. Well, no, that's the actual quote. So, <laughs> so that Sam was so making a joke. I guess is, is what that was. Shut the fuck up. That's my dad's actual Twitter bio. <laughs> Love you, Dad. So the thing with yes, this Samir. movie is that me and Sam, Sam and I, uh, we have our quarrels. We bicker here and there, but the one thing that we consistently agree on <laughs> is how much we hate Nicholas Winding Red. Rain Refin, however you want to say that Danish last name. That's that's one thing that you know <laughs> I've consistently agreed with them on. Well, and that's um, why I picked it. You know, as he mentioned, really to unite you guys, yeah, help you get over your differences. And <laughs> and and the and the thing is, I think part of the reason. Part of the appeal for people like Corey and other people who really enjoy this movie is how much the other side really hates it. And I, I swear to God, that's the only reason why they like it is because the other half is think it's the worst movie ever made. And like that's the same for like a lot of these. I wanted to, I want to hope that this movie was at least polarizing. And I think that it's for those polarizing movies. It's kind of like people that really love it are almost kind of. It's like that like. Um, group think type thing where it's like people that really love it are further for like they're further fueled to loving it because the people that hate it really hate it i don't know maybe there's really enough i mean i'm gonna leave it to Corey and dane to explain the charm of this movie to me but without reiterating or repeating a lot you're of assuming that dane said, even um, enjoys this one i mean maybe maybe dane are we waiting for my I, I see a look in his eyes well, we, well, we okay. literally, we're, Samir okay. and I were, we're talking we're about, let, we were, we're theorizing last night, we were like, Dana's gonna love it's this movie, moment. and it's gonna be Dana and Corey versus Sam and Samir. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so I'm really curious was... to hear Dana's thoughts on it, because uh, yeah. I, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll let Dana share right now, but one of the things that I, I do agree, actually, that, that you said, that I'm, I don't take as an offense at all, is that one of the things I love about this film is kind of its divisiveness. And I think NWR as a director, you know who he actually reminds me of a lot? Um, and this might be an interesting comparison, and one that uh, I know you guys might disagree with. Did you with. just call your own comparison interesting? Anyway, well, this might be a really great comparison. Well, well no, because I know the, the, uh, <laughs> Sam and Smear, the three of us after last episodes, uh, you know, stayed on and talked a little bit about comedy, right? And I think mm. a comedian that NWR compares really well to is Anthony Jeselnik, believe it or not. Uh, and I okay. think they're doing something very similar in that they're both provocateurs, you know, uh, NWR, it doesn't always work his, his provoking, you know, like sometimes I do think that it's excessive the way, uh, you know, Tom Hardy says cunt in this movie or, uh, any of his films just include, you know, strange bits of, um, uh, dead time just like just, of dicks, just multiple, yeah, yeah, just, just the just guys Hardy's dick in our face. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Hours. Just, 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 yeah. Absurd imagery or just people being awful humans or anything like that. Um, but I think he's a provocateur and I think it's a really, uh, cool kind of cinema and a really, uh, worthwhile kind of, of filmmaking for that exact reason. But uh, we could talk more about that in a so, sec. Dane, I do yeah, want to yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's get Dane's right. thoughts. So, wait a minute. I, Samir, I'm, no. I, I'm not Samir, just no. shitting on this. Samir, movie. no. We're going Dane. <laughs> okay. 
Samir can't tell me that he's not Anthony <laughs> Jeselnik. Yeah, no. Okay. Dane, you're right, go ahead, Dane. So I did I really enjoyed the movie. <laughs> oh my god. I fucking you're so insane. I knew he would. I knew he okay. would. Well, and he so was... <laughs> it was a foregone conclusion in my mind yes, that you were gonna like I, this movie. I can't say that I was over the moon about the movie that I, I hands down could say like this is a top ten favorite by any means. And I certainly I see the point of what's the point because that's something that I struggled with throughout the movie was trying to figure out like what's the deal here what how is this going to turn out what's going to happen but for me I hated Charles Bronson hated him but there's just something about Tom Hardy's performance that I was mesmerized with the entire time and there's a thing in movies that I really despise which is pointless narration and i i think of a movie like <laughs> see i i think movie has a lot i of think it. of a movie like me myself and irene or like uh, any forelli brothers movie and i'm like okay this is just a random narrator really giving no con- contribution to the story whereas in this one i i did think that the the him narrating helped drive his character forward i do think that there was <laughs> samir just slouched over in his chair because samir literally but, as you were bringing that up he went yeah and there's a lot of pointless but narration. The, the movie, like I, I i definitely like the movie is all about is just about charles bronson and trying to understand him i don't know if you ever understand him throughout the entirety of the movie like you have you have the portions where you think uh, like well, my my ultimate understanding is that he was, a cent- he just wanted to be a celebrity. He thought he was a celebrity, and inside, anytime it cut to him like talking to that audience, that was how he perceived what was happening around him. Like everyone thought, like he he thought everyone thought that he was like this hilarious comedian who was doing everything for the greater good, or was was there to watch his performance. So, I there. I, I have to say, like, I, I would have liked to have gotten a little bit of more at the end or whatever. Just, okay, this is the key to understanding him. Or this is what really motivates him as a character. But then you also have to think that he is just a narcissist who did whatever. And, like, this is where the debate can surely come in as to is a movie about a narcissist even necessary. But... The the well like and that's where I think the argument of uh, like camera work and the way a story story is told is effective because I definitely was uh, attracted to Tom Hardy's performance. I and for me like one of I would say honestly my favorite scene in the movie is when he is on stage. And he's having the conversation where on one side of it's his face, it's him. And on the other side of the face, it's the therapist. And he goes back and forth talking to himself. I just, I thought like the quick back and forth and him and him doing that. I, I, there was just something about it that I was so attracted to. I thought it was just very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I will so, agree. And, okay, Dane, wait. I will agree that the, the audience aspect of it is the best part of the movie. I think that is the most interesting part. I think that is a good part. Why in the fuck 
the halfway through the movie, they stop doing it, and then they bring it in in the absolute final scene for him smiling. They literally get rid of the audience aspect for half of the movie. They never, and then they tie it back in one more time at the very, very end. It felt very lazy, and it felt like a very half-baked idea with the whole performance aspect. Well, that's what I mean. It's, it, it's a framing device. It's if that's fine if it's your favorite part of the movie and you just wanted more of it. But in the context of the film, it's a framing device because one of the things I think that uh, is important to note about this movie is that you know the actual uh, Michael Peterson, Charles Bronson, whatever you want to call him, he wasn't even that that interesting of a guy. He was just a guy who had a huge reputation as this insane prisoner and loved the idea of being this insane prisoner and loved the idea of having this larger than life reputation. So it's kind of a story about how your your uh, legacy or your like or the the, the story of, of yourself, the, your legend can outgrow who you even are. So that's why I love the idea of him being on stage like as if he's this vaudeville performer and I love the idea of of uh, NWR throwing literally everything at the wall in this movie and just seeing what sticks because in that sense it makes complete sense. Charles Bronson was just this like crazy motherfucker who or who or at least thought of himself to be this crazy motherfucker and and wanted other people to see him that way whether that's the case or not. So it's fine if you uh felt like you wanted more of a certain part of the movie but that at least the part you're referring to is is a, is a framing device to suggest the way in which he viewed himself. Okay, so before before Corey sweetens the pot a Thank little you. anymore, I'm just I'm just going to read an interview quote from Nicholas himself. Um, you're you're getting says, convinced, Samir. I, I know you a, are. I know you are. <laughs> I was reading a theory the other day that a few people just happen to be pure evil. I'm afraid I believe it. They lack any conscience, any sense of pity or empathy for their victims. But Bronson is his own victim. How do you figure that? And that's kind of the question, I guess. This is coming from his you know, point of view um, that he was... He was trying to show um but for, for me like i said does that excuse a lack of clear motivation um for this guy for this character like from the get-go he's screaming cunt he's screaming no he's having these like crazy tantrums and like shitting on people spitting on them and the most enjoyable scene for me was the nude scenes so i i, I do want to talk about the nude scenes like game. i I, I enjoyed them. He had a, he yeah, had a long for, really uh, long for that. Time. Definitely, like visually, was the most like memorable thing for me in the movie, especially the petroleum mm-hmm. jelly scene. Um, but be- be- before we move on from this, I just want to point out that to Corey's point about how much of a polarizing movie it is, I told Sam this last night. The very scene that Dane picked out as his favorite in the movie was by a large margin my least favorite in the movie Wait, what, where he's doing this and he's doing that's why when you were describing that i was like i couldn't contain myself actually i, I, have, like, I own a poster uh, of that exact scene <laughs> i i don't i don't it's know if you guys like, saw it the other day i sent a picture of it at the group chat but i own a poster of that exact scene where one side is tom hardy and the other side is tom hardy dressed up as the as the therapist and it's it's my favorite poster for that exact reason I, I, I just like I just, I, I felt like while I was watching it I was I, losing myself. I, yeah, I, I like actually felt like I was going crazy and, watching it, and not in like a and well, not that's no, 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 I, no, that's no 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 and not for the not for the yeah. reason of the movie. Sam's favorite anything. argument is no, saying no and then rapidly saying no 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 no
no, 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 no. The reason I was going crazy is because I was reading all these reviews saying that it was jaw dropping, that it yeah. was that it was exciting, that it was a tour de force. This movie is boring. Ass well, that you see, that's the part I really shit. can't. I can't this entertain movie that is so boring. I really it's don't so, see how there's so boring. much waste. It's wasted space. It, he just sits there for so fucking long, and it's like. I don't, I don't give a shit that he's covered in fucking blood and shit. That doesn't make it an exciting scene. It's just like, it just makes it gross and boring. I don't know. I think Tom Hardy just kind of has like a magnetism in this movie and everything that he does. That I'll agree that, with. Uh, it's hard to look away from him and it's hard to feel bored watching. Yeah. And I, for me too, I think that the very much, I, I mean, the movie certainly never even tries to pitch him as a sympathetic character. Uh, he gets emotional in that one moment where she doesn't uh he she says that she's married and all that and he gets teary-eyed but right away he uh what the next scene is him going to beat the shit out of the the boyfriend right or and then he he steals the ring so i i def i i certainly do not think the movie was trying to make you feel for him or or anything like that I thought he was a very interesting character, and up until he gets out of prison the first time, gets out, he gets out of prison, the movie essentially was, he was the only character in the movie for like the first 45 minutes, which I also thought was, was pretty interesting. Like, yes, you had some guards like that with dialogue, but up until he gets out, you aren't really introduced to any other characters of of substance, and even then you can argue that the characters that do talk to him like the the guy who uh hires him to fight they're have their one note characters they're just they're objects in his life and it, it's very much you're you're watching you're watching Char- yeah like you're wa- yeah exactly it's like, it's like you're watching charles show. bronson basically be this hurricane of destruction around him but you you aren't exposed to any of the conse- necessarily exposed to any of the, of the consequences. You're just vibing with Bronson or the reasons why or the reasons why he's a hurricane. Um, so it's both. It's like the things that he does. What are the results of the things he does? And what was the causes for his behavior? Um, and that kind of goes back to that pure evil quote. Like I don't know how much he bought into that, but if that's the case, then I'm like. Okay, so you have this comic book character-esque person who's this jail prisoner, um, and like he wreaks havoc in all these different ways. And for some viewers, that can be the most entertaining shit in the world. And for other viewers, that's like, from the first ten minutes, you're like, why? Um, why is he screaming at his mother? And then, like, I think there is a moment there where it does get a little bit sympathetic. Like, I think towards the end. Um, but it doesn't really do anything with that. Like, and I was also waiting for the movie to have like a big final ending, like the whole movie, like, cause some movies are like that. They're like kind of ironic throughout. And then the, like the last two minutes, it all makes sense. You're like, Oh, okay. I get it. And for me, that last two minutes, I just didn't understand. Like it was just him trying to escape. Like once again, and then it ends with Charles Bronson was the most famous prisoner in all of Britain. Um, See- well, again, I think that yeah, I, I guess you have to remember about the movie is that, and this is why I like it too, is that, you know, I'm very hard on biopics. I th- I find biopics more often than not to be like maybe the most useless genre because you really can never accurately or, or faithfully represent uh, a real figure's life. 
uh, and I, I appreciate when movies acknowledge that. And then now you have the ultimate, like if you took that, that approach to its logical yeah. conclusion, you get Bronson, which is just saying, fuck it, we literally will never know what this guy was remotely like, so let's just yep. like imagine it. Or, or let's just uh, let's just fulfill cool. uh, his fantasy of, of what yeah. he imagines himself to be like. It's like an entirely different goal, which which makes um you know you're I know Sam's really obsessed with this, and I think Samir, you appreciate it too in movies is like motivation and cause and effect and all these things that goes out the window in a movie like Bronson that is quite yeah. literally about um an imagined version of oneself and not at all about uh yeah reality. and I do think I I'm not I think, always yeah. Well, I am a sucker for, like, the deeper meanings or whatever like that. But if you do look at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. there certainly the idea... Well, when Corey was mentioning about uh, this guy's legacy, and he's he has a legacy for being essentially a terrible person. And the ending of the movie very much centers around art and him getting good at art. And I don't know, like, whenever he was put in his doing the makeup on the guy's face and it was obviously him like part of me was maybe i'm just reading into it too much but i was thinking like this is him putting his stain on the world like he has cemented himself in our history as being a piece of shit and i mean that's that's kind of how i i viewed the ending all while tom hardy's right and it's like it's the question of like no, I I agree. I agree, Damon. And it, it begs the question: like, is that it, art? Yeah. You know, like he's he has like become art himself through violence. Is it a worthy and legacy? Even? Evil. Like why? Like why does it exist? Right, and it's like, right, exactly. exactly. It's so it's so crazy to me how pinpoint accurate Corey was in picking this for Dane. Like he just he knew this like was, he had that. No, like, hey, hey, like, I didn't. I like, didn't Dane, say I picked it for Dane. Dane I picked will this love for you, Samir. Oh. <laughs> No. Wait, yeah, we should we should we should vote we should vote on who yeah, we, we, who we thought we this movie vote. was for. We can. Right. I mean, I don't need to fucking say what I think this ranks as, but if we want to do that, we can also do that. But this was one hundred percent from the first minute for Dane. It is. I thought so as well. <laughs> I I knew immediately it was for Dane. I knew immediately it, it, also that it was not for me. Even and luckily, say, go ahead, Sam. Samir, I, no, no, even no, I thought down. it was for me. Um, so just the just to say, not for me. I can say, I'll say Samir, but I, deep down, I, I had, I had, a, I had a deep, no, deep say, feeling that this one was for me. Dane, you know it's for you. Why would you it's not say me. it's for yourself? <laughs> I, think, I, I don't know. I don't know. Why would you just try to ruin yeah. the game? Yeah, yeah. Why would I got, you try I to got really good there for like ten seconds. Obviously, or, or Samir, go ahead. Do you have something to say? Yeah, the other thing I'm gonna say is this is like the worst birthday party ever <laughs> because we 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 crown our we like crown our host I thought it was and Christmas. then we shit on him. Yeah, Christmas or like, but like we we make the special boy of the podcast like we just shit on a movie that he holds so dearly, and I feel like that's just so counter to our very positive message yeah. in the beginning <laughs> of making Corey feel special. Hey, don't worry, like, but uh, um, Samir, don't worry, there are. Uh... There are three more episodes left where I, I will do it, plenty of shitting. It's like oh yeah, always yeah, sunny. Yeah. And like there's also two. Finds out his I would like to say there's two movies that we can compliment. <laughs> well, we were both... There's two. There's two movies left that we can compliment Corey on. It's just he happened. Yeah, we do. He happened to pick yeah. a movie that he knew Samir and I were gonna fucking hate from well, the no, get go. So I kind of when I was deciding which three films I wanted to assign for this week, 
I was, you know, I, I actually will say I was this close to picking uh, Memories of Murder in this spot instead because mm -hmm. I, I don't believe any. Have you guys? None of you have seen it, right? Never seen it. I haven't seen. I've heard a lot about yeah, it. So I mean, definitely still watch that. Well, I was really close home. to picking yeah. it. I knew that would be one everyone would enjoy, and I still would have probably picked it for Dane. Uh, but this one, I just knew would get some strong reactions out of the, out of Samir and Sam. So I, yeah. did you I think we were gonna? Was... Did you think we were gonna hate it as much as we did? I knew you would hate it as much as you did, Samir. <laughs> I, I I gave a fighting chance, but I should have known. <laughs> I, I I just he. I thought he just I thought, does not I thought Samir would me. appreciate Hardy's performance at least. <laughs> so that that's the one thing that I will say. I I like Tom Hardy's look in the movie, like the shaved head and the mustache look. I I like that. I like his acting. You just love Johnny Sins, Like the nude dude. scenes. <laughs> you, yeah, Johnny that, Sins he just kept runs reminding me. <laughs> I know, and I think that actually was a, such a big part of it. Like just seeing it, I was like, oh my god, this is Sins. Like this is some of the best art I've ever seen. And then immediately my mind goes to uh, give this man an Oscar, give him whatever award, but. So I think you definitely got me on the Johnny Sins angle, but everything else just <laughs> NWR killed it for yeah. me. So all right, well, I, yeah, like Sam said, I especially because I picked Bronson, uh, such a divisive film to start it out. The other two films I like to think were at least you know pretty agreeable. Like I can't imagine anyone uh, having like you know you know strongly disliking these movies. But I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts. The next one that uh, I assigned for this week was. 2006's Half Nelson. This was like a, I feel like a very criminally underseen movie. Like I just feel like, considering the names attached to it, it just didn't really take off in any way. It's a kind of like a little indie darling, if you will. Directed by Ryan Fleck along with Anna Boden, you know, the directing team who's done a lot of big things. Uh, uh, you know, you know, really got their start in indie movies until they recently directed Captain Marvel, so a big, big Marvel movie. Um, but it stars Ryan Gosling. That's Anthony Mackie, so it's got good names in it. Uh, I, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this one, but you know, somebody go give me give me your thoughts on Half Nelson. So, oh, Sam, you can. No, no, you can go, Samir. Okay. Um, I I did like this movie. I did, and it's grown on me. It's grown on me since last night when I was thinking about it a little bit more. It's grown on me throughout the day, um, and. When I first saw it, I was lukewarm on it, and then it's just continually grown on me. And I think what it is, is for me at least, a big part of it is that kind of like I really loved, like I mentioned last episode, that 2001 to 2009 point of it. And one thing I'll say about this movie is that it has like this, it emanates 2006-ness, which is when the yep. movie was made. And it's just like, like the way it emanates that is just, it's so indescribable in the sense that it's like, the shots, the way people talk, the way the film grain looks. And it's just, for me, like, I really, really like that. Um, just the feel of the whole movie. And the other thing that really elevates this movie for me um, big time is I just generally like the story and the flavor of the story, like the plot. Um, and not necessarily, like, the plot line, but, like, just the concept, I guess. Let, let's say the concept. Because, like, I really like the idea of, like, an inner city... Um, high school teacher in a movie just kind of about that middle the school. characters in his life middle school middle school right so like and it's just like the characters in his life and like him interacting with um you know people in like because like i volunteered at like an inner city high middle school um i guess it was the elementary school when i volunteered in like high school and i did it uh at pit too um and 
it was it, that was just such a great experience and like just always seeing that like on the screen too like i don't know like even like every time i'm like volunteering i'm like wow like it'd be so cool if like somebody made like a really just watchable movie that just feels so like quiet and interior like it has that interior aspect to it um almost like i don't even know how to describe it but like i've always wanted that and like Corey said i think this movie is yeah. criminal criminally underseen um yeah. maybe Can because I... ryan gosling was like that was like at before he wasn't as big as he is now um in 2006 yeah he definitely wasn't. that could be a reason the other thing about this movie like that really got me and i'm gonna say my positives and then my negatives and then somebody else can talk but um the other thing that i really liked about this movie was the performances so for ryan gosling i see that's where i wasn't sure where you would stand because i know you've been hit or miss on gosling in the past I'm mostly, I'm almost a hundred percent miss on Gosling, so it's not, okay. <laughs> it's not even hit. Yeah, or I miss. you said that and when we I, talked I about know, Drive. So. Boo. Yeah, yeah, and I know that. Yeah, that's an unpopular opinion because a lot of people really do like him. They I see him. a comic timing in him, and like obviously he's got the looks and like everything. Like he just makes even sense. As a, as even as even do. as a crack addict, he could totally get it. Still, yeah, he was hot. One hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's where it doesn't. Like I don't know. Like I guess there's just can I get can I get in can I get in on like the positives about like what you said just about like the feel of the movie and like why I I as because Samir and I also we were shitting on Bronson really hard and we we talked about this movie and I I didn't put my foot down I actually did like this movie more than I was saying last night. Um, It's grown on me since then. So like I think this movie um, is it when you're talking about like the time frame. This this is the closest a movie has ever felt to the first season of The Wire. If anyone has seen that, mm, interesting it comparison. Is, it is it is so similar. Like I was drawing so many comparisons to the first and the fourth season of The Wire, um, and it. I just like Sharika Epps is oh she was amazing insane in this yeah, movie. She really is so good. good, and it it is so sad. Like I don't really I don't know her life story, but I was going through her letterboxed and. She, this is her biggest role ever, and she kills it. Like she is, right? I think Ryan Gosling is good in the movie. I don't think, I, I frankly don't think it's Ryan Gosling's best performance ever. But she, I, th- she outshines him yeah. by so much. Yeah, Here yeah, she is incredible. She's in yeah. easily I, I, the heart of the movie. I do want to say, mm-hmm. it, it, heart is actually a good, it's a good segue. I think my favorite thing about this movie is it's not preachy whatsoever about mm-hmm. any of the things that it's going about. Yeah. It is very real is very relatable um it is not a movie about like look at all these people who you know have gotten the shit end in the stick like like isn't it so horrible how they're treated like it, it is very like lets the viewer decide that for themselves it lets the viewer see their lives yep. it's not dramatized at all and the way that they handle the addiction of it like i i think my favorite part of it is the part when he's doing it in front of the other teacher and he's like you know, I used to be so bad, but now, now I, you know, now I'm fine. But like, he's obviously not fine. Like, he's just like really like on uh on his last uh last thread. Um, but even then, it doesn't come across as like preachy towards addiction. Like, it's not like I. It it just lets the characters interact in a very real space, and I think that's ultimately why this this movie works so well. Yeah, Samir. Uh... 
I, I'm also going to contribute to my positives real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, before you it. get to your negatives. And I also am going to yeah. shoehorn off of uh, Sam a little bit. I, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I, I was crying tears of joy at the end. Um, and also a little bit, a little bit of just sadness, um, going into how the movie is shot, the like little quick zooms they would do whenever they would hold on someone's face. I'm obsessed. It really made you feel like you, yes, it made you feel like you were watching a documentary and you were there just watching this unfold. It was very Corey Stillman. Yeah. Like I was watching the entire time. I was like, this is definitely a movie that Corey loves. (laughs) Sam, you, you touched on how the, the movie isn't like look at this place look at these people feel bad for them yeah and i think the movie really goes against the grain when you think about like the white savior because there's even that Mm -hmm. there's that moment which i love between anthony mackie and ryan gosling where he shows up like you need to stay away from her like all this stuff and he and she's and he says something along the lines of like uh, you're you're white, so you're supposed to think that way, or whatever, or so, something along that lines. Like you're you have to think, yeah. you, you think that this is you're doing right, um, because Anthony Mackie's character is a drug dealer in the movie, and then Ryan Gosling says something along the lines of, "Well, what am I supposed to do? This is what I'm supposed to do," and he has this deep uh, ideology within him that he wants to change people but he himself is a drug addict and someone who is just a piece of shit so he really isn't any better of a role model than what anthony mackie is so i i I find it so interesting that the real savior in the movie is sharika epps character and and not ryan gosling like and and i really really loved how the movie handled that and it it re- like if you compare it to a movie like the blind side yeah where yeah. your 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 white sa- <laughs> your white savior is like this flawless just all around she beautiful woman and has is rich has nothing going against her and then you come to this movie and it just completely dismantles that entire like race this subplot like subplot of a genre and i that that to me is like why i really thought this movie did something pretty pretty groundbreaking i agree yeah you hit the nail on the head dan about why i love this movie so much i can imagine like the pitch when they when they first thought of this movie essentially saying you know imagine um like lean on me or stand and deliver like imagine that movie but it's the teacher who needs help instead because you know, it's a really tired genre, honestly, of, uh, you know, movies about a lower income schools and the teachers who come in and, you know, just save them and, and turn them all into geniuses and, uh, you know, just get through to them like they've never gotten through before. Like, I, um, there's a great stand and deliver parody in a South Park episode where he just goes like, how do I reach these kids? Yeah. And like that's that's parody yeah. uh, Edward James almost in in Stand and Deliver because it is a kind of a stereotype of just like this magnificent teacher who comes in and has it all figured out and when you rap to them or something right like and when you first meet yeah. Ryan Gosling's character in this movie you kind of think he is that guy and he wants to be that guy and in, in a certain way he is because he is um, a really first of all progressive history teacher who teaches them about like you know. Um, revolutions around the world that 
you know I certainly never learned about in yeah. when I was when I was a student or um he teaches them about you know a much broader range of the political spectrum than we're used to hearing about um in in the US so um I and I, I by the way I also love those little like inserts they do of the students yeah like it's very Sp- very Spike Lee esque very yeah, documentary yeah, yeah exactly yeah so um yeah so again like he he in, establishes himself as this kind of teacher but as the film goes on you obviously learn that he's a very complicated person himself so like, again i just think that that little subversion of of the genre and of audience expectations already makes the movie really 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 good uh and i just think the performances and and like you guys got got at the camera work uh are what really elevate it from from something like really unique and worthwhile to something that again for me is one of my all-time favorites also, yeah, I, think, I, I, yeah. I, I was going to say, I love the title. Like, yeah, he's title. In, in, in this drug chokehold and he can't get out of it. Yeah. And it, I, at the end of it, I was like, what is that? Like, what, what could the p- title possibly mean? And then I, then. Mm-hmm. Well, his thing about, two opposing, his then. thing about like two opposing forces are the cause of yeah. change is like a very, very interesting yeah. dynamic that's brought throughout the movie. I wish it was fleshed out a little, little harder. It, it kind of turns yeah. more into a character piece than that, like overall idea of the competing pressures. But um, yeah, overall, overall, I I think this is a, a pretty great movie. Tom, and that's definitely a good. Yeah. So who did we, so who did we think this movie was for? Yeah, this one I'm excited to see how how people vote on this one. So so I my think my this v- movie was for Sam. I want to say it. I yeah, think it was for Sam. I think yeah, it was so for Sam also. I think it was for myself as well. And that's not because I think this movie like specifically speaks to me. Because there's one thing we didn't really talk about, which is Ryan Gosling's addiction to crack is really never yeah. never really brought up. Like he's just addicted to crack. Yeah. And he seems like his dad's an alcoholic, yeah. which definitely fuels some dependency on drugs and alcohol. Um so it and my whole thing is the motivations of characters. The the main reason why I think this movie is for me is because the next movie I think is very very much for Samir, um, more than it is for myself. So, um, I think we're all in agreement that this movie was for me. So Corey, was it? Yeah. So you, you would be correct. I did pick this one for Sam. <laughs> I, mean, I, I will say I the this one as well as the next film um, was sort of a toss up. Like in, like uh, yeah. or I should I mean like I picked them both. I picked all you know. I picked all three films. Obviously, in an ideal world, you all would have loved all of them. But I knew Bronson. I knew Bronson was divisive. The next two films, I could have seen signing to either Sam or Samir. But um, I knew how Samir felt about Ryan Gosling. And on the flip side, I knew how Sam felt about Ryan Gosling. So I kind of thought of <laughs> Half Nelson a little bit more as a, as a Sam movie. Uh, I also just kind of thought the, the subject matter and uh, um, especially the sort of naturalist uh, tone to it was something that Sam would, would would really appreciate, but again, that's also because I think this next movie. I hope I'm right. I think this next movie is like very much a Samir movie, and it, it has obvious connections to I know what a lot of a lot of what uh, you and I Samir have talked about in the past. So with that, we'll wrap up our conversation about Half Nelson and go into uh, the final film that I, I have gifted you all tonight for our Secret Santa, and that is Ang Lee's 1997 film The Ice Storm. Ang Lee is a very accomplished, very prolific director, and yet this also feels like a movie that has somehow kind of gotten lost in his filmography, perhaps because it didn't necessarily have like the big budget that he's worked on in other films, or um, it doesn't necessarily have like you know a lot of action the way some of his other movies might. 
Um, but it, it sort of has gotten gotten lost. Um, but I think it's for me an incredible film. I would, if I actually were to rank the three films I brought tonight, I probably would put it in the exact order we 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 talked about them. I'd probably say Bronson three, Half Nelson two, and The Ice Storm number one. So I'm really excited to talk about this movie. It's probably in, in my like top ten favorite movies of all time. And I would sometimes I think about it and I would push it up even even higher. I really really love it. So um, I'm curious to hear everybody's thoughts. Hard agree on the ordering. This is yeah. this was by far my favorite of the three that we watched. I think this movie is really really good. And, and say why? sweet silence. Okay, thanks, <laughs> you talk guys. about the movie. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'll start with saying, so this is originally from a book written by, I'm looking up his name right now, Rick Moody. And so Rick Moody grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut. Would anyone like to wager where my father grew up? Not a clue. (laughs) So my dad grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut as well. What are the odds of of Mr. Mercalio getting not one, but two separate references in, in today's up. episode <laughs> yeah so and would you guys like to know what year rick moody went to middle school oh is it, it, it was the same year as my okay so my dad and i'm not gonna <laughs> do this anymore so my dad and my dad and rick moody were uh middle school friends uh and slightly elementary school friends but they they were really close friends in middle school um that's when they were closest um and they i so i was asking my dad i was like hey dad i'm watching the ice storm like this is a story written about new canaan connecticut um and i was like and i was like so how was he he was like well he was very very smart rich moody was and very melancholy and overall just very lamenting of living in new canaan connecticut sounds pretty pretty accurate if there's two so if there's two things to know about my dad, it's one, he's the reason I have so many opinions on everything. He is the most opinionated man I've ever met. Um, and two, I'm willing to wager that the majority of the reason why he has so many opinions on things is because he grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut. He absolutely hates his hometown. New Canaan, Connecticut is the richest town in the richest state, in the richest country in the world, which is pretty much all you need to know about what New Canaan, Connecticut was. He often described it to me growing up as a place that had too much money and not enough love, which I think (laughs) this movie and the book um, does very well at showing. Uh, It's a very sterile and kind of like these houses are beautiful and big, but don't feel like homes at all. Um, They're very... I mean, New Canaan, Connecticut is also cold as shit. And this this ice storm was a, a real storm that happened in the 70s that my dad dad and Rich Moody lived through at the time. The actual happenings of the story is dramatized uh, for the book. Um, but yeah, I mean, watching it throughout, it, it, was, it was really, honestly, like I had goosebumps multiple times throughout it just being like, yeah, this is, this is very similar to what my dad described growing up in New Canaan, Connecticut, was, like, so nice little fun. It was also, like, funny that just a story about New Canaan, Connecticut just came up out of nowhere, so. Uh, yeah, and that it's kind of funny because, like, watching that movie the entire time, I thought, this movie is about America. 
there's so much American in imagery throughout the entire thing. Like uh, Richard Nixon commonly pops up, and and is it a uh, uh, is it Gina Ritchie? What what's her name? Christina Ritchie. Christina, Christina Ritchie. Ritchie. Um, her character very much is the the out of place uh, character who is constantly talking about how uh, bad the government is and how you can't trust uh, the government after Watergate and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just so much imagery throughout the movie very much points that this was very much uh, a commentary on very on what Sam said is too much money, not a, not enough love. And like very the entire movie centers around sex. I'm pretty sure every character in the movie has sex to essentially fill the void of all the uh lack of emotion these characters feel and uh, Sam had talked about uh, in the past about like not they're not i guess uh not being enough dialogue or or characters not necessarily really fleshing out what they're feeling and i think this movie is full of that but not in a bad sense because the characters all give so much emotion just through their expressions and are keeping so much to themselves that actually i was starting a letterbox review that i posted but then i i did <laughs> i got ridiculed because i forgot the ruling on this i wasn't supposed to review it um, but my bitch. review went along the lines of like all this sexual tension builds up to a steamy and electrifying climax of a movie and very much an electrifying climax. Um, mm. All that. Wink, wink. Rest in peace, um, Elisha Woods. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was a fucking weird character, by the way. Um, Wait, can we just say the red herring of him jumping up on the icy on the oh. icy diving board. I was like, get off of it. What the fuck week, are you I'm doing, sweaty. you weird... You little freak. Like, get off the diving board, you absolute idiot. Yeah. yeah, And, and like, all the characters do in this movie is have sex and drink. The the kids have sex and drink. <laughs> like, it's... It, it is very much a bizarre movie to watch for that reason. And all the characters are very emotionally vacant. Uh, Elijah Wood's character is... A creep, very, very strange. Toby Maguire's character, I would say, probably has the most heart <laughs> or like uh, emotion. Yeah, he's weird in too, the movie, though. but he's like, also yeah. very weird. He's, he's weird also too. very strange he's weird too. And <laughs> co coming back to it, Corey. Initially, when I started this movie, I thought you had picked it for me because literally the opening shot of the movie is a Fantastic Four. Oh, I know, book, yeah. And I was like. Oh boy! Which is is but, a really cool part of the movie. I think is how they sort of use that as oh, like a, a, a slight framing yes. device. Absolutely, and I even I sent out one group message like this is this has to be the reason why Tobey Maguire was cast as Peter Parker, um, <laughs> because he he looks the part, sounds the part. Just reading a Marvel comic book, but very much the his analysis of the family dynamic of Fantastic Four is this entire movie just without the superpowers and i absolutely loved that especially how they tie it in at the end and they and they really tied in by essentially just repeating the opening scene of him coming back on the train right uh there there is a lot a lot to love uh, in, about this movie i mean i've i've 
enjoyed all three of them, but I, I do have to say, the more I sit on this movie, the more I appreciate it. And just the concept of like the ice storm being what what really just is the climax of the movie, and that's what everything is building up towards. Um, well, and so and, that's kind of what I wanted to ask everyone's thoughts on because, um, and yeah, it, it, I even though I obviously assigned each one of these movies with a specific person in mind, this is the one that I mean, like I said, it's my personal favorite. I kind of I just kind of thought everyone would would resonate with it in a different way. And one of the things that I knew you'd really appreciate about it, Dane, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, Samir, and really, really just everyone's thoughts, is um, just the, like the the way the these symbols are incorporated into the movie. I mean, uh, because because symbols in movies can, I mean, I think they're always effective, but sometimes they can feel a little right, like uh, they gotta be subtle, right? And, and in a way, the, the ice storm is kind of the least subtle. Like it's it's called the ice storm, and and yeah. every half the shots are just of like this ice you know slowly forming and, yeah. and like and dripping and then but but i think it's so i personally think it's so masterfully done in the movie and how it kind of connects with this sort of coldness and the 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 uh yeah like that emotional emptiness characters. right um so i don't know that that to me i think there's a lot to unpack just about that ice storm itself and and it's sort of building up throughout the movie and how it connects with the actual uh events of the film yeah i i think um for me, the title is what I was looking forward to in the movie the entire time. I was like, when the hell is this ice storm going to hit? Because I want to I see shit go down. Um, and honestly, that would be my like only complaint about the movie is that there were a few times in the middle where I may, lost attention, but that also may be just the fact that I was sitting in my bed watching this um, and had my phone by my side. But... Yeah, like the entire movie, you're just thinking about <laughs> this ice storm as much as in your face as it is. It it I think it is very effective and and very much builds tension throughout the movie, uh, in, in making you really anticipate the night of this ice storm. Now I gotta say I I I'm a little nervous because I feel like I I've been two for two tonight, but Samir has been like. Mostly quiet thus far. So, and Samir's been doing his little. His he has little, been I'm about, oddly no, quiet. No, no, yeah. No, no, no. And you know what the worst part is? Samir's doing his little, like, I didn't like the movie as much as anyone else shuffle. And he's <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. He's doing, like, exactly. Doing, like, this. Which, it's which, so it's annoying. Funny. I knew he, it's funny because I knew it, he wasn't going to like it. <laughs> it was Samir's um, idea before we recorded this podcast to try to keep our opinions as unfiltered and as authentic as possible. And yet, I know there's a small part of Samir right now that is really just kind of wants to play devil's advocate, just because he he can't resist. But He's I just also gonna sit here and say it wasn't very good. I already can tell. Um, yeah. So I'll I'll I I do want to hear your thoughts on it, Samir, because this again, this was the film picked for you. It's an Ang Lee movie. I know you love Ang Lee. Um, I I, I know you like movies um with just sharp dialogue, and I think this movie has very sharp dialogue. Um, and I I know you like movies like that. With, with characters who connect in a lot of different ways, and I think that's one of the coolest parts about this movie is you kind of just put these different characters in these different sandboxes, and they all sort of crisscross and connect in different ways. So I, I thought it... I really thought it would connect with you. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Maybe I should stop <laughs> out rambling and hear what, you're, what you think. So, just looking at this, um, something I want to say is that it 
This movie had a budget of $18 million, and the box office was $8 million, so it was a resounding box office failure, yeah. which I, did you know yeah. that? Yeah, at all. Yeah, um... I mean, you gotta imagine, okay. the ice, think about anything that comes out in the year 1997 almost deserves an asterisk, because Titanic came out in 1997, which really oh, for the, right. was like yeah. such an unprecedented yep. uh, box office presence at the time. Not that it um, excuses every film's failure that year, but uh, this one did have to contend with, with the Titanic, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it's, it's, it's like mostly forgotten in Ang Lee's filmography, is because I think 1997 is so heavily defined by that, that one movie. Mm-hmm. So, the agonizing thing about movies is that, like, it, it's, it's just like... Re- it's just like it's just like relationships where it's like like all the parts can be there but the magic isn't just and i know that's like a horror so i guess a large part of why i was so torn sitting here just because from the get-go i knew this movie was picked for me and i knew the parts were there i could see you know the different things that i like and sometimes like when you're putting the puzzle pieces together and you look at the overall picture it's hard to really not lie to yourself and just be very authentic about it. Um, this movie, like, I didn't even have, like, the greatest viewing experience watching it because I saw it pretty late. I saw it at, like, 1030. I was watching it. I watched the whole movie. Um, and the middle sections did did lose me. Uh, and I was surprised because I thought that, like, you know, they wouldn't. And there's certain scenes, certain moments that really stuck out to me. The fact that it's a Thanksgiving movie, I really resonated with that. Like, uh, like yeah, I, I wish time. I would have watched it. Yeah, that was just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that time. was just a coincidence. Yeah. I forgot about that until I'd already uh, texted you guys about it. But that worked out really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, because I, I would have. I mean, I wish I saw this to get me in the Thanksgiving spirit and Thanksgiving mood. But <laughs> I was the opposite. I, I think for I, Thanksgiving really yeah. is a deterrent. <laughs> I, I, the, the other thing is like I think Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> I think Thanksgiving is like like it's really important for this movie because it's a movie. It's all about family. Um, what I will say about the movie is that like it it is. You're right. Is that it is this family drama and it it has these moments that like I really like. Like especially even in like really sitcommy type stuff like. The key party, right? That that segment of this movie, the key party, I really enjoyed just that. Like as stupid as that is, as many times as I've seen that, it's just I don't know. Like just watching that, being like, oh okay, huh? Like that's just that sort of weird like movie escapism that that provides. It's just like, uh, oh okay, like you know, like I could watch a Netflix movie and they'll have a key party on and be like, oh okay, like oh this is sort of entertaining to watch. Um, even like the comic book scenes, I I enjoyed and there's bits of it that like spoke to me. Um, and I definitely felt the sexual undercurrent like throughout it. Like, and like I noticed very early on, like, okay, so it's like, you know, the 14 year olds having their first sexual encounters and then like the adults are committing adultery and like all of that. It's really just about like, do all these things work together? The elements are there. Is the magic there? Yes or no. And for me, like, I don't know, like, my gut reaction was just, like, I, it, it feels very, like, like a TV movie throughout. Um, and then when I was, like, reading about, like, why it was, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I think you're, you're definitely right in that, like, 1997, like, Titanic, um, 
swept that year and all of that i don't know like i feel like there's something about this movie at least for some viewers that may have been like oh like this feels like another kind of melodrama in the sense that like the middle portions may lose some viewers in the end because it's so like sad and quiet um unless it like puts you in the spot where the movie wants you to be you don't feel the weight of that and it's it's so weird like that's why i feel so like weird even like talking about just because like so much of this movie logically like the left side of my brain be like oh yeah like i should really like this movie but then my heart is like i don't know i just don't i just don't feel it which is why and that that's like not like a like a that's not the response i want to give i want to be excited about it like you guys but i just i can't lie to myself well i think part of it is you know and and i think this is maybe what you're getting at that you do kind of have to just like accept as part of the film and i'll definitely concede is it has like an emotional flatness to it that is obviously part of what i think you know rick moody was probably going for when he first wrote the novel um and what ang lee's going for here with that really cold kind of chilly uh cinematography but also just the dialogue feels very kind of cold and distant that's obviously the point mm-hmm. of the film in terms of the relationships between characters i guess you do run the risk of that bleeding over into our attitudes towards those characters which maybe that sounds like what's kind of happening with you where, you know, if you just feel like everyone here is so like emotionally empty and everyone is so emotionally distant, how is it supposed to land when, you know, a young child turns up dead at the end of the movie? Like, how are you supposed to make anything of that um, when it doesn't even feel like these people have, have would ha- would, would offer that response? I like, I'm a sucker for like emotionally distant bullshit, you know, for reasons that I probably <laughs> need to unpack, uh, the psyche but... of Corey Stillman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, like we said, this yeah, episode is going to be let's get into it, into it yeah. Corey. Wait, and that is also with let's unpack that. No, because yeah. Sam, Sam and I uh, have talked about this. You know, as the late '90s being one of our favorite times in movies, and it's definitely my favorite time in movies because yeah. I love the genre that the Ice Storm participates in, which is just kind of that like frustrated. Suburbia. Sam texted me this great word, suburb core, which I'm totally going to use now. Yeah, yeah so I'm, like, I'm totally going to use now because, yeah, I mean, uh, the Ice Storm is in there. Pleasantville, which also has Tilly McGuire, is definitely in that world. Uh, I think the Truman Show is in that, and Election is in that, and and an American Beauty. Yeah, American Beauty. It's is funny. In that. Um, my uh, my friend, our you guys know, Emmeline Good just texted me and said she watched Election, and oh, she put. After that, she like said, I, I've never seen it. She said, kind of amazing, a feminist manifesto. <laughs> um, I, I've never That's seen an it. an interesting so read I, on I it. Know, but... I don't know what to say about I don't know if I'd agree with her. That sounds like Emmeline really liked uh, Tracy Flick, the the main character in that movie, which is not a popular, not a popular opinion, I don't think. (laughs) But not it. She's no annoying. (laughs) But it is a fantastic movie, and so anyone who likes it, I will welcome into the club. Uh, Because I mean, Election, Um, Truman Show, and The Ice Storm are all top ten movies for me. So I really love that kind of late '90s vibe. But what I think about uh, about makes Ice Storm really unique. You know, all those examples we just mentioned, American Beauty included and Pleasantville included, it's kind of the whole point of Pleasantville, is color, right? Those movies are so bright and colorful and fun and exciting. And I actually think the Ice Storm, in a way, almost like looks at those movies and laughs at them. Because, I mean, those movies are still, don't get me wrong, um, they're, they're doing something similar. Like, they're trying to uh, contrast between those bright colors and the kind of, like, empty interior of, of these suburban spaces. And then you have the ice storm, which 
its version of color is the comic books. So like the comic books are like, look at this, blah blah blah. Everything's like like family fun, exciting, and then it deconstructs that and 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 uh, as Dane alluded to earlier, connects that to the actual emotional emptiness of the characters in the movie, and the cinematography in the movie is very blue, very bleak, very very bleh, and I mean in that way I think it's absolutely genius how they're able to to pull that off. But again, it it is something that you have to be willing to buy into right away. Uh, or get on board with if you're gonna uh, and if you're not gonna be along for that ride I could totally understand having the reaction that you did Samir which is just kind of um, no emotion or no reaction because that's kind of what the film has been dealing with the whole time yeah I, I certainly see the other thing that, from. Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna say I see where you're coming from Samir like I I wasn't emotionally connected to any of the characters but I, I definitely was interested to see I'm coming back to my my dumb thought of the ice storm. I I want I was like, how are these characters going to change? What what's going to happen? That's may or may not change their their viewpoint on life because they all very much were caught up in themselves. Um, and I think having Elijah Wood's character die at the end is something very interesting because both those families there was sex going on between both the parents affairs happening the kids were banging all kinds of stuff was going on and both those families were very much intertwined with each other and i i think yes i it was a great climax of the movie and it may or may not have been intentional but the the choice to end the movie with like no epilogue um if if I'm correct, it it ends right at like right after they bring mm-hmm. Elijah Wood's character back to the house and, well, and they they react to it, right? Yeah, my point my point is mm-hmm. that I think of the climax of the movie is actually just Kevin Klein crying at the end, yeah, and that there's absolutely nothing at the end, like that the um Elijah Wood's character dying is kind of spurring and it's all leading up to Kevin Klein's character finally breaking down. And when you think of all the reasons he has to cry in life, like, sounds like he's very frustrated at his job. He's frustrated with his family. He's frustrated with his kids making the same mistakes he made. He's frustrated with the fact that he's cheating on his wife, that the person he's cheating on doesn't actually really like him at all. Um, and now that someone, a, a child close to him has died... It really builds, I think it's building towards that moment. And the fact that it it's just him crying and that's how it ends. They don't show him coming to yeah. terms with it or anything. I thought that was a really, really powerful end. Yeah. And, 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 that... and I'm, and I, if like, you know me, like there, I am not one to normally like a movie where the characters are cold and distant. Like that's not the type of movie I enjoy. But in this one, there's just like. It's just so. I think it's so well edited and it, well directed that it's it's always building to something that I like. Don't care as much. Maybe I just had nostalgia glasses because it was in New Canaan, but like I was always excited to see what was going to happen next. No, yeah, I think I'm you like, make a good point with, with the editing. Is the editing bridges together all these different spaces and all these different stories? Like always, at, what I think is at the perfect moment. Kind of like you said about Kevin Klein's character crying. Like like you only achieve that because the editing finds a way to always bring us to where 
we need to be, which is kind of like the job of, of, of like one of the most basic functions of editing, but especially in a movie like this where uh, we could easily get lost in one story over another, get lost in one specific thread over another. I feel like the ice storm, because again, like Dan keeps saying we're building up to this one single ice storm, it's really crucial that we're kind of like staying at the same pace with everything and that it's all going to collide along with, alongside the ice storm. And again, I, I just think it does it so brilliantly. Yeah, and, and Sam, you you had a you touched on that like I with the editing and with performances like so much of the movie comes down to char- actors their expressions and kind of what you make of what they're thinking. Uh so it very much leaves a lot of interpretation up to uh the viewer to kind of decide what emotions they're suppressing because all the characters do in this movie is suppress what they're feeling and, and suppress uh, everything that is going wrong in their lives. And it all builds up to basically all that emotion, all that tension being put out in the form of of the ice storm, uh, basically. With, with the death, that you, you get to see everyone react to this, and they're all very much in shock. They're like, uh, they were all so fed up in their own bs and to get to this to get to the ending point yeah so yeah I, I the editing and just the performance wise i think the movie very much was about just the the concept of n- not showing emotion like i i very much think the movie was supposed to be about sam i said this a little bit ago about um what you said your dad said money versus love and they all all they're in it for is the, yeah, the it's pleasure, a great line. The pleasures of le- life. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing that I'm gonna say about this movie that I felt like that you brought up American Beauty. Like I love American Beauty. Um, and even like Election and like these like other family dramas that come to mind, like The Descendants or something like that. Like <laughs> I guess for, to me, like I need a I I need a hook point. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You were you were like um, over here now. Uh, okay um so i was just saying that like i need a hook point like for american beauty to me the hook point was like the narration like the scene with him in the rose petals and like the idea of like this like middle-aged man being like having like sexual feelings towards like i don't know like his like daughter's friend and like just the idea of being stuck in like the guise of a middle-aged person the descendants to me was as weird as it sounds just the background of hawaii so I guess to me, what I'm like referring to is like the world of the film, even in like election. I think that like, to me, a major hooking point was like seeing Ferris Bueller talk honestly about like loving his job in like this town called Nebraska. And like the idea of just like a high school teacher, like becoming involved with something as petty as like school elections. Wait, like, so I'm man, talking what do you about mean elections. by a town called Nebraska? Yeah. He's in Omaha, Omaha. I was, I was going to let it slide, but <laughs> I'm glad, glad he I mean, counts on it. Corey, Corey and I were just giving each other for, yeah, I can tell <laughs> we just had like... <laughs> no, no. Okay, um, like Omaha, Nebraska. But my go. point is that, like, there's there's something or the other, like, that, like, hooks me being like, okay, I'm interested, and it's also kind of related to this idea of stakes. Like, okay, why should I, as a viewer, care about this? Like, you know, like, what is it that, like, elevates that and for american beauty it's like it ends in like this huge like shoot like okay it spoiler alert it ends in like a huge shootout or like whatever 
for this movie obviously it does end in like a big death but i just don't know and i think you guys have theorized correctly i, I think you've done it correctly about why i didn't feel that and i think a large part of it is probably because characters are so distant from each other it's so weird because you said suburb core and i love suburb core like that's like one of my favorite genres and it just doesn't make sense and i think that it's it's the same reason why like sometimes a good idea on paper even when we have one for like this podcast or something else like sometimes an idea that we think is bad ends up being like a great episode an idea that we think is good ends up being not a great episode that's what i'm trying to get at yeah i i certainly i see where you're coming from Samir, with that because that was something or i should say with the uh the concept of, of stakes i there wasn't there at least from looking at the movie now like i can't think of what like what was on the line in this movie and now i'm coming back to one of the things that i think kind of why i fell off in the middle of the movie is because there was like you said that lack of stake um and i i think at least from my looking at the movie now that was supposed to be the con- like the concept of their collapsing marriage almost and her finding out about the affair and her reaction to that the wife's reaction um but Corey and sam i, w- I would like to hear what what you guys think of, of what samir said no i mean i i think it's funny because when the examples you were citing about um like hook points if anything, the ice storm has the strongest hook point. It's the only one that names its hook point in the title. I mean, like, it... oh, I'm such a moron. I literally was like, oh, that's why I was so hyped up about the ending. <laughs> look, look, here I am contradicting myself. I don't know what I think. I, I, I'll just leave the podcast. No, I mean, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think what you said is is wrong, Dane or or Samir. That like the stakes maybe feel lower because it's not, it's it's a little more interested in like these smaller interactions between characters than it is like the election or or the central relationship in American beauty. But I mean, there's clearly a hook point and it is, uh, you know, a storm is coming both metaphorically and literally. And what is that storm going to look like? And for these characters, we know, as we mentioned that they're, that, you know, they're, they're unable to truly connect with, with one another. Um, and so there is a certain inevitability to obviously an ice storm, but also, uh, the, their, you know, their eventual change. I mean, when, I think one of my favorite moments is when Kevin Klein sees his daughter, uh, you know, at, at the house, and he's like, "What are you doing here?" And it's like, you know, she, like she could ask him the exact same question, and you know, and it's and he sees his daughter right before him making the same mistakes he once did. I think Sam alluded to that earlier. Um, and there's a certain inevitability to all this. Even even Christina Ricci's character, who might be like very politically aware and, and you know, like um, and, and starting to form her own opinions is so trapped in this suburban town that she quite literally can't help but make these same mistakes and 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 fall victim to this this storm that that's that is coming no. you know what i mean I think, I, I think the movie has a hook point i think it's actually the, <clears throat> the only one of those to to very overtly wear it's hook point. that's why i'm just surprised because if anything the criticism i could see people having of this movie is that it's maybe too over in its messaging or in its uh sy- symbolism or whatnot but not that it's it's too uh, empty or that it's too uh, unsure of itself. Like that. Sam, real quick. I, I know when I say, just to piggyback, yeah. Sorry. 
Oh, <laughs> we, we all try and go or, at the same okay, time. Okay, well, I, I, well I, 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 I'm just going to okay, respond really quickly to Corey. Just super quick. Um, in, in the Knowing sense that, you, like, Samir, it's I guess not going to be super quick. <laughs> my point my point is like not that it didn't have a hook point necessarily in that i just wasn't grabbed by the hook point in the sense that like i think you alluded to it perfectly when you said um it's the most overt about its hook point like it's the ice storm it's the big storm like it's it's the concept that we've seen for so long and it's just that like it's so overt about it that it's just kind of like oh okay it's the storm mm, does that really get you as interested as like i don't know just like is that as interesting and it's obviously like a super personal thing like is that really as interesting to you um as i don't know seeing like a middle-aged guy just break down at a dinner table like crazy and maybe that's just a testament to like kevin spacey's performance in that movie or something like that i don't know um but it's, it's just a personal thing like did it grab you or not it sure as hell did have a hook point but like for me it was just like okay it's a movie called the ice storm i know there's gonna be an ice storm here Oh. You know, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no yeah, yeah, that 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 pause was for effect, but um, I'm gonna let Dane. Dane was gonna say something. I I, say I was just gonna chime off of the one little thing that Corey said about uh, Regina Ritchie's character having <laughs> Christina uh, Ritchie. Dude, I what Ritchie. she went from Christina Regina to, to Regina, Regina. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, Christina. <laughs> Christina Ritchie. I'm gonna get it right eventually. Of her, like, formulating her own opinions, but being shrouded in that uh, small-town personality. And, like, watching it for me, like, that was something I connected with, was Tobey Maguire's character. Yeah, it, it, in different senses, I think I, I got two things from to from Tobey Maguire's character and Christina Ritchie's character. And it it's was okay. that sense of, like, you coming home from college to your hometown that has arguably a completely different worldview than what you have. And there are even a few lines in the beginning when Tobey Maguire first gets back. I can't remember what is said exactly, but very much, um, uh, I almost called him Calvin Klein, uh, Klein, the, the Klein <laughs> character. He, uh, um, kind of, kind of shut, shuts down the, those thoughts and, and, gives his own opinion on things. I can't remember the exact scene. I'll have to look it up after they're this. About, they're talking about masturbating at the beginning, like, in the car. He's like, well, you can't masturbate in the shower because it wastes yeah, water. And, he just... and I like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I just think, wait, I think one thing that we're totally glossing over is how good the dialogue is in this movie. Like, the 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 quote about, we haven't fought about anything in 10 years except for if we should leave couples therapy is like one of the like most genius lines i've ever heard like that is so that's so funny and nuanced and layered and throughout it there's just like so many good quotes and and like that is the one redeemable thing for me if a if a movie is going to choose to have distant cold characters i want at least the things they're saying to be snappy and witty it's like all. It's like always engaging. sunny. Yeah, like if if I'm if I'm gonna the, not like the characters, they're gonna have to say fun, interesting things, and and I think that is why um, the ice storm get like gets itself out of the hole it it would put itself in for me normally uh, is because of that. 
I think the one true thing that we're glossing over is the fact that why the hell there's a character named Libet? <laughs> they never answer that question. Well, even e- even the characters, like, yeah, I was gonna say like, even the characters were like, yeah. Even the characters like meditate upon that question, and they never reach an answer. <laughs> and that that was such a point of intrigue for me. I never got over that because I kept thinking of Cheez-Its when they were saying Libets, and I was like, it has. It's is even it funnier because like, what does Libets, Libets mean? Sounds like it'd be like like the chubby like sidekick, but it's like the hot love <laughs> yeah. in the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's Katie Holmes. <laughs> oh, that's that's Libets. This is the girl that everyone's fighting over, Libets. So. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's certainly. I mean, Ooh, yeah. I mean, that was, that was to so me the one question I'll pose, without without like reducing this movie too much, because I I know that you guys truly feel really strongly about it. The one question I'll pose is that like, did you ever get the feeling of this movie being feeling like a little bit like a daytime soap opera, like Days of Our Lives or something like that? No, see, I cause maybe I that's too big of an insult earlier, for this. And but. I actually. Take issue with that almost above all your other criticisms because when I think of like a, t- a TV movie or like a like a lifetime movie, I think of a movie that is like is uninterested in style altogether. Like it's purely interested in just like telling a story and probably not a very good one and and whatever. Like this movie, it just it just has it's just brimming with too much style for me to accuse it of feeling like a TV movie. I a li- in in a million years you would never see some of those shots of the of the ice or. Uh, of of the comic books or, or anything like that in in a TV movie, I, I think um, you could maybe f- if you felt like the drama was too was a little soapy, um, that's fine. Although I, I still think it's uh, clearly just a little more like darker or um, uh, like darkly funny, even more darkly comedic than you would ever get out of something on on TV. So I, I definitely I, don't don't see that. I love the chagrin you said TV movie. You were like, it's not a TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I mean, the, the movie there's that some I great for Samir, there's Samir great... Just easily pulled out the meanest criticism well, of the entire episode. Well, well I know, because I... To, Samir, this is what Samir said before he watched the movie last night. We had already shit on Bronson. Yeah. And then he goes, you know what? I, I knew... just don't like movies, man. Like, <laughs> they just don't. And, and, I, and, I go, and, I go, and I go, Samir, you're so annoying. Like, well, you know what's funny is I, I mean... actually, I think we can all relate to that a little bit, though. Like, for, like, the more you love movies, the easier it is to hate them, which is a really hard thing about I know, movies. because cause there's been multiple times. Because your standards night, get yeah, higher. There's, like, multiple times where, like, I'm like, that. I didn't like the ice storm, did I? Because Samir's, like, trying to, like, make his point, And I'm like, you know what? Like, no, this movie wasn't good. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. This movie was good. Well, all I'll say is I'm just very glad that um, I was able to gift Samir Embrace of the Serpent earlier this year. Is it? Oh, that Because I, I know, I know yes, he loved that one, that and was... I feel like I've just been really bad at otherwise suggesting movies for Samir that, that I think he'll like. So well, Samir doesn't like movies, I think... so that's the exactly. hard part. That, that is the hard part. I, I, I don't... I so, so, so rarely genuinely like movies. Like, it's so <laughs> rare. And when you're... When you... And you really hit with Embrace of the Serpent, because I've recommended that hey spreading the love do you know what it do you know what it takes to get me to recommend a movie to six other people like i have to really it has like to be it. called so the like, descendants <laughs> yeah it has to be called this yeah no, that's, that's a good this way of movie this I is think, like this is my the descendants and the descendants is your ice storm very similar movies that right for some, yeah, re- some yeah. reason the i think two it's, of us can't yeah. connect on once yeah, in hawaii and, and once, the, once in connecticut yeah exactly very different right and 
I, I think that's the other thing. Like, I brought this up when I was talking initially, but it's just the crazy thing about movies is that it's so, at the end of the day, about that magic for you. Like, is that magic there? Like, all, like, it, it could be, like, for me, like, I'm not really a big sports guy, and, like, I'd be like, oh, like, this is a movie about basketball and, like, people running around, and it's Uncut Gems, and it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. So, yeah. like, it's, like, technically, like, the parts of it wouldn't make sense but then you watch it and you're like, wait a minute, there was so much magic in that for me. And like, it just clicked. And then there's other movies where it's like all the elements are there. And then you're like, ah, damn it. It's just my heart didn't feel it. Well, first of all, I do want to say this. is I had a lot of fun with this episode and it makes me really excited for our next three episodes just because uh, I'm really excited to, to, to get some new favorites from you guys. Um, especially I've already, I've, I've, you know, peaked at like Samir's list, for example, in the past and. Um, there's a lot of films on there that I've, I've just needed an excuse to watch, so I'm really excited to finally uh, have that excuse. As for the films that I, I picked tonight, I tried to pick three that represent, like, I think three very different parts of, like, what I look for in movies. I mean, I, the fact that Bronson could even be in the same conversation as Half Nelson or The Ice Storm is, like, kind of crazy, you know what I mean? Um, you're, you're not like other boys, are you, Corey? No, I'm not, yeah. He's dead. Um, <laughs> Built different. But, but no, I mean, so, so like, you know, I think about a movie like Bronson, and um, I guess the core thing that attracts me to it so much is what I mentioned earlier about uh, biopics. Like, I I struggle a lot with, like, movies and their, their responsibilities in terms of, like, telling the truth. And so I really sort of admire a movie that is tasked with telling a truth and then decides to go about it in the most bonkers, uh, you know, like, kind of fuck you to the truth kind of way. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of important because um, you can you put that movie next to like a Bohemian Rhapsody or a Walk the Line, which obviously have different goals but are claiming some sense of truth and don't even remotely achieve it, you know? So uh, I, I think that's really interesting to me. And I, I'm, I'm always obsessed with movies that do that. That can certainly fail. Like I watched a movie the other day called Tesla. It's a new biopic that stars Ethan Hawke. Yeah. And it tries to do something kind of similar, and it's, I thought it, it, it failed. So you got to be careful with it. But really the only way to, to be careful with it is to, to do what Nicholas Wanning Wren does with Bronson, which is just say, fuck it. I'm just going to like fucking go for it and not give a shit what Sam or Samir thinks. And it, and it worked. <laughs> um, but I think that the thing tying these films together that I know, I think I, I owe this to you a lot, Samir, that you've helped me realize that I, I do love in movies um, is, is acting. Like, because I mean, you you you're really good. I think at keying in on acting performances, and sometimes I don't even realize how affected I am by a performance, because, you know, like I don't when you when you spend too much time watching movies and like studying movies, you kind of get too obsessed maybe with, uh, what this editing decision was like, what this specific shot selection was like, and I don't I'm always gonna love that shit, uh, and that'll always be like part of my bread and butter, but. The truth is, like, Half Nelson is nothing without Ryan Gosling's performance. Bronson is nothing without Tom Hardy's performance. And The Ice Storm is nothing without Kevin Klein's performance, Sigourney Weaver's performance, Christina Ritchie's performance, Elijah Wood, Tobey Maguire. I mean, that whole cast is really stacked and I think really, really, really good. Um, and I think though each, each of those actors I mentioned for all those movies really carry it and really bring it home. And so it is true that in Half Nelson, I was obsessed with the little zooms and, and the cuts to the, the, the students speaking... Uh, uh, you know the, these different historical facts and historical names. I'm still obsessed with that shit. But you know, um, th those those performances in, in each of those movies 
really, really, really bring it home. And it's just something that I've noticed myself being a little more attuned to in in, in recent movie watching experiences. Uh, and something that I look forward to kind of paying more attention to as, as movies go on. I wish I could act for shit because that'd be kind of fun. Not like I, I've seen. <laughs> by the way, I've seen Samir act. I don't know if 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 Dane or Sam have have yeah, had yeah. that luxury, but I have had the luxury yeah. of seeing <laughs> Samir act. Yeah. Fun, yeah. F- fun yeah. fact. I Maybe I did. Uh, uh, I I was a big musical theater guy in high school. Really. I don't know mm. if I big musical. That's theater, honestly right? so, not. That's honestly not. Yeah, not surprising. No, I no, really. I, I'm honestly, a, uh, <laughs> I mean this. One of my biggest regrets is not having not done theater in either high school or college. I did theater in I elementary agree. school. Uh, I was Same. Mr. Salt in Willy Wonka, and I was Maurice in Beauty and the Beast. So I always played like a dad figure. Madagascar. I was always. I was always given the role. That didn't have any singing or dancing, just like acting, because like just I being a hot, just being yeah, just being like dad. sexy. Like, I was like, um, I was like just, the heartthrob. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it was just being like, yeah, just having well, a huge schlong. It just, it's, it's, it just comes, kept, yeah. comes naturally. But yeah, but I mean, uh, say that Samir just, is uh, quite the performer. I, I, I definitely recommend yeah, heard, catch, catching him. I hear you're very good, Samir. As as amazing as taking, Corey's final piece was, did we at all rank our? what we thought of the movies oh yeah, like real quick, yeah so i, I shared mine that? i shared mine so i want to hear yeah real quick i want to hear i think i kind of know where everybody stands but i would love to hear where everyone's official uh, rankings so i'd have bronson as i i'm not lying i actually gave it my first half star rating uh besides it chapter two that's a I success in my book that is i to know I that it could it that generate fucking... that strong of a response makes me so happy yeah yeah like i truly w- will never fucking watch that ever again and I will always curse the day I watched it. And I, I lament ever being becoming <laughs> friends with Corey because he would suggest this movie to me. And then I had like Half Nelson is like a six and a half or a seven or to a seven and a half for me. And then I would have Ice Storm at like an eight or a nine out of ten. So uh, yeah, mine would go. Let's see. I mean, I I very rarely do I despise a movie. <laughs> I'm a like yeah, like what been has been very yes what has been said on this movie I'm a pretty positive person and try to find the best in everything not to toot my own horn <laughs> but <laughs> um, <laughs> consider your but, horn tooted wish I had um, I'm gonna toot your own mine would go honestly I I really I did enjoy Bronson but I would also put it at my number three yeah. um I I did enjoy it. For the reasons you thought I would, Corey. Um, two, I would say Half Nelson, and one, The Ice Storm. We're all on a consensus, so, probably, except for Samir. And you know, Samir's yeah, just I mean, chomping at the bit to not be in the consensus right here. It's just, it's so fun to not be in the consensus. Yeah. It makes me feel so special and different. But you are right in that I would put Bronson as my number three, put Ice Storm as my number two, and I, despite. Me being I probably the most vocal about my gripes with Half Nelson, I think uh that is like to me like overall, like I think it's just still like such the two thousand six ness got me of Half Nelson. <laughs> so I think that's my you know, that's my favorite of the of the picks Corey assigned. My mind it is. Um while this this was um my my turn to give out the gifts, um I was hoping to to gift each of you uh a new favorite film. It sounds like I at least was able to uh, do that for for Dane and and hopefully Sam. Sounds like I I 
kind of I failed with you, Samir. Um, but but you've done it in the past. Exactly. You've done it in so, the past with Embrace the Serpent. Exactly. So that makes up. But, but again, it makes me really excited for uh, our, our next round uh, of, of doing this. Well, for those listening, if you if you are interested in following along at home, you could watch Brazil, Perfect Blue, and Columbus uh, over the course of the next week. Uh, for the boys at the Don't Hate Us podcast, I am Corey. Uh, I hope you all enjoy the holiday season and and find a movie that might be a gift for you. Tune in next time for our Secret Santa episode. Take care, guys. <laughs>